The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Exodus chapter 20. And you can also uh, put a little marker at Matthew chapter 6. We're in a series right now called Battles. And we've been talking about the battles of our life and how we're in a fight. We have an enemy who's coming against us. But we have an ally in God who wants to help us. But in order for, for God to come into our life and help us, we have to invite him in. And we have to invite him in by doing things God's way. And so today I want to talk to you about a very important principle that we need to have in place in our life if we're going to have God's help in our life to, to fight and win the battles that we all face in our life. Now, as I jump into this, I want to I start by asking you a question, okay? When you're playing a game, or if you're playing, uh, maybe you're, you're involved in a sport, what is the goal? Who can tell me what the goal is? Win. To win. Okay, what's another way of saying that? What's another goal? You want to come in first, right? Yeah, we all want to come in first. I like I like coming in first. I, I played a lot of sports growing up as a kid. I played baseball, basketball, football. I played on teams that were really good, teams that were really bad. I played on some teams that came in first place, and I played on some teams that came in last place and didn't win a game. And let me just tell you, it is a lot more fun to play on a team that comes in first place than it is to play on a team that comes in last place. And in our family, there's five of us, me, my wife, and our three kids, we all like first now that can be a problem sometimes, and some of you can probably relate. You know, we pop out the board games, and someone's going to get in trouble. And it may or may not be me and Sarah, I don't know. But we are a competitive family. We like to come in first. In fact, my wife, I'm, I'm going to tell on her for a moment, my wife is probably the most competitive person I've ever met in my life. I'm not kidding you. Like you, people come up to me all the time, your wife's just so sweet, she's the sweetest thing. And she, she is, yeah. But she can, she'll, she'll, she'll take you out. <laughs> in fact, we were, we were playing, uh, we were teaching my son Gus how to play Monopoly. This was about three years ago. He was seven at the time. And Monopoly is a big deal in Sarah's family. In fact, they have a, every year they have a, a Monopoly tournament in her family. Where Sarah's six of seven kids, so she got a big old family. And they all get together and they do this big Monopoly tournament and it takes all day. And you've done what? 13 years of it, and you've won five times. Only one other person has won twice. So she likes to call herself, she calls herself the Tom Brady of Monopoly, but I don't know, I think Michael Phelps is maybe even better. Okay, I, okay, I get it. He won five Super Bowls. Okay, that's fine. So anyways, she's, she likes, she's competitive, and she likes to win, and she likes to come in first. So we're teaching my son Gus how to play Monopoly, and we start off kind of showing him the ropes and teaching him, you know, how it works and how the game works. And, but somewhere along the line of the game, Sarah's motivation shifted. And it shifted from her teaching my son to her destroying my son. <laughs> and so there's a point that she was wanting to, like, trade a property with me. And I had to, like, get, you know, text her under the table. You guys ever been there before? Text her on the table and be like, hey, chill out. This is his first time ever playing. To which she replied back, I kid you not, he's got to learn how to lose at some point. <laughs> that right there is my sweet little wife, Sarah. She likes to come in first, and we all do. We like to, to come in first. So, so here's my question for you. If you look at your life, and you look at, let's say you were listing the top 10 things in your life, or the priorities of your life, where is God? Now here's the, here's the next question for you. Where do you think he wants to be? 
Now, I can answer that for you, and that's why we had you turn to Exodus chapter 20. It says this, God says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You should have no other gods before me. Really what God's saying here is you should have nothing before me. There should be nothing in your life that on the list of priorities comes before me. God should be numero uno, number one. Guess where God wants to be. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, He said, but seek ye first. Everybody say first. first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus says if you seek God's way of doing things first, you seek God's way of, of, of life, you seek building his kingdom, making his, his will, his, his way of doing things the number one goal of your life, then there's a blessing attached to that. All these things will be added unto you. When it says seek first, or that word first means first in time, first in place, first in succession, first in rank, first in influence, first in honor, first in principle. God wants to be first. He wants to be first place in your life. And so we're in this series right now called Battles, and I want you to understand this morning that there is a battle for first place. And the enemy, one of the things he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to get you to, to fix your attention and your energy and your focus on other things and put other things in the place that God should be in. Because he knows if he can do this, then he can keep you from the blessings God wants you to have. And he can also stop you from being able to resist him in what he wants to do against you. James 4 verse 7 is one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible, we've, we've all heard this verse before. We like to quote this verse. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We like that verse, don't we? We like the idea of being able to say, God, or say the enemy, we're, we resist you and you've got to flee. That word flee means he'll run in terror. We like that, don't we? That he'll run in terror. We can do this. We can resist him. And he has to run in terror. But, but you need to understand something. There's a caveat to that verse. See, resist the devil and he will flee from you is not the entire verse. There's a part right before that. That says this, it says, it says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So notice it starts by we have to submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to doing things God's way. Submit ourselves to God's plan. And when we do that, listen, we do that, we get God and we get his power. And his power enables us to resist the devil and he will flee from us. But if you don't have God in his proper place in your life, if you're not submitted to him the way he wants you to be... You can resist the devil all day, but he ain't going to flee from you. You've got to put first things first. And so here's what you need to understand. In your notes this morning, God must be first. God must be first. We've got to get intense about this. We've got to get serious about this, about putting God first. Proverbs 3 verse 6 says this, in everything you do, everybody say everything. everything. Put God first. And look at this, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Notice you, you put God first and he helps you. He blesses you. He, he walks alongside of you and empowers you. I want you to know something this morning, New Song Church. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that he could hopefully, you know, crack your top ten list. That's not the goal of God. His goal is to be number one. God's goal is not that, you know, you would say, God, you're number seven. No, no, no. God, you're number you're number one. That's where we've got to put God. God must be first. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at three areas of our life where we tend to allow things or allow these areas of our life to become first place. We, we, we tend to allow these things to replace where God should be in our life. And I want to help you see how you can submit to God, 
and, and get this stuff the right way so that you're putting God first in these areas. Now, three things that occur when we put God first. This is in your notes. Number one is we honor God. And God is worthy of our honor, is he not? Yep. He deserves our honor. When you put God first, you honor him in the way that he deserves it. Number two, it demonstrates faith. Which the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is essential. And when you put God first, there's things he's going to ask you to do that are going to take faith. It's going to take you stepping out in faith. But when you do that, you're demonstrating that you trust God over circumstances. You trust God over issues. And in doing so, once again, you empower God to help you. And that leads us to the third thing that happens we put God first. It unlocks, God, it unlocks God's blessing on your life. Hear me, church. God wants to help you. He wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to bless you so you can be a blessing in this world, so people can come to know him in greater ways. He wants to do that for you, but it ain't going to happen just because he wants to do it and just because you want it. It's going to happen when we align ourselves to what his word says, do things his way, and submit to our lives to him the way he's asking us to. God must be first. So three things. God must be first. Here's the first one. God must be first in our problems. God must be first in our problems. John 16, says this, In this world you will have trouble. Turn to the person beside you and say, We got problems. <laughs> say, I got 99 problems. <laughs> Don't turn to the other person and say anything else, though. In life you're going to have problems. Sometimes I look at Sarah and she just won't even look at me during church. <laughs> you're going to have problems. You're going to face stuff. And, and here's the problem with problems. When we have problems, the tendency is we begin to, to move all our attention, all our focus, all of our energy to the problem. And we begin to elevate the problem in our life. What do we do? We talk about the problem. We think about the problem. We meditate on the problem. We think about where the problem could lead us. and what We Google the problem. We have conversation. We, we direct our life. And, and what happens is the problem, as crazy as it sounds, the problem becomes a little G God in our life that replaces God in our life. And all of a sudden, we believe the problem over what the Word says. We believe what the problem says about our future over what God's Word says over our future. And we put the problem in this position of lordship in our life. Because we, we, we're, we, we're thinking about it. Listen, the answer to your problem is not to think about your problem. It's not to put all your focus and attention on your problem. The answer to your problem is to focus on the solution. And the solution is Jesus Christ. He's the problem solver. You, you're dealing with a problem, you need to go focus on what the Word says. Focus on what God says about your, your problem. Not to focus on your sin, not to focus on your issue, not to focus on your sickness and your hurt. No, 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 focus on God and what He says about whatever your issue is. And when you do that, it, it helps keep God in His right place. But if you don't, many times we dethrone God from His position in our heart that He should be in because we allow our problems to, to dethrone Him from our life we got to put God first. So God cre has created a way that we can, we can honor God, we can walk by faith, and we can position him to bless us. And here's how we do it. We put praise in front of our problems. If you're dealing with problems, the answer, one of the answers is going to get you through that problem is to put praise in front of your problems. And to do this, listen, it takes faith. It's easy to praise God when you're walking in victory, isn't it? I talked to a guy last week here at New Song Church. He came to me. He said he'd been having knee problems, and his knee was really bothering him, and he was about to go into the doctor, and he felt like he was going to have to have surgery. or it was, it was a bad, bad thing. It was getting worse and worse. But he came forward here at New Song Church. He got prayed for, and he got healed. 
miraculously healed to the point that he said he was doing squats the next week. That's awesome. God is a healing God. It's easy to praise God when he does stuff like that. It's hard to praise God sometimes when we're staring down the barrel of a problem. Because see, in the barrel of a problem, that's when the enemy comes and he begins to whisper and talk. And here's what he does. The Bible says he's a liar. Everything he says is a lie. And he comes to you and he lies to you. And here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to believe in fear. See, fear is faith in reverse. And what he does is he comes to you. See, what fear does, here's faith. Faith is believing that there's an outcome that God has for you and it's a good outcome. And you're putting your faith in God's outcome. Fear says that there's a bad outcome and I believe that that's the outcome that's going to come to pass. And so that's what the enemy does. He comes and he says, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like. This is what the rest of your life's going to And he just lies, 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 lies. And he talks and talks. And listen, you can want him to shut up all you want. But it's not just wanting him to shut up that's going to shut him up. But you can shut him up. And how you do it is by praising God. The Bible says this in Psalms 8, verse 2. It says, through the praise of children and infants... Remember those words. You have established a stronghold against your enemies. Look at this. To silence the foe and the avenger. The foe and the avenger there is talking about the devil. We can silence the devil. There's a stronghold that we can, we can grab a hold of, that we can anchor ourselves to, that will silence the enemy in our life. And what is it? It's praise. And notice, I love that it says at the beginning of this verse, I love how it says it, through the praise of children and infants. You know what children and infants are? They are the weakest among us. They're the weakest human form that exists. They don't talk good. They don't have big muscles. But, but what God is showing us here is it doesn't take that. It doesn't take perfect prayers to get God to work. It takes faith. And what do little kids have? The Bible talks about how you should have faith like a child. Kids believe. And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who will lift their hands and praise him in faith, believing that his outcome is truth. What his word says is truth. We're praised in front of their problem. You release the power of God to silence the enemy. When it says silence there, that word silence doesn't just mean that he closes his mouth. It means you shut him down. You can shut him down. And the weakest among us can do it. So if the weakest among us can do it, that means me and you can do it, right? There's a story in the Bible, I love this story, it's the story of a, of a king called King Jehoshaphat, this is in 2 Chronicles 20, and Jehoshaphat is, uh, he gets some, some, his guys come to him and they tell him, hey, I got some bad news, there are three enemy armies and they're coming against us. Now, theologians will tell you, any one of these one armies is enough to defeat them. The three of them all coming together, the odds are, they, the theologians believe the odds are about 10 to 1. That means for every soldier that Judah had, there were 10 soldiers coming against them. I mean, this is overwhelming odds. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you find yourself in a place today where you have something in front of you and it feels overwhelming. It feels like there's no way out from underneath this. There's no way I can figure this out. I can defeat this. I I feel powerless against this problem that I'm dealing with. That's where Jehoshaphat finds himself. And so what does he do? Well, the Bible says that he goes to the Lord and he begins to pray. And as he's praying, he, he gets some revelation from the Lord. And we pick it up in verse 21. It says, the king, look at this, he appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Now look at this, singing to the Lord and praising him for his glory and splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. So here's what they did. As they began to walk towards this fight that they had, the battle that they were going to, they put the praisers out in front, not to, not to sacrifice them first. No, no, no. They put them in front. To sing and praise the Lord. They put their praise in front of the fight. And they walked towards the fight with praise in front of them. And the Bible, it's, it's an incredible story. I encourage you to read this week. 
But as they're doing this, the Bible says that, he, that God caused confusion to fall on those armies. And they begin to fight amongst each other to the point that they killed every one of them. Every one of their, these armies that were coming against them died. Which this has always been fascinating to me. Who killed the last guy? Was it like a simultaneous like sword flipped like at the same time? Or like did everybody die and this guy was just like, like I don't know. But everybody was dead. And so Judah comes over this hill, King Jehoshaphat and the people, they come over this hill thinking that they're about to have the biggest battle of their life. And what do they find? They find a field full of dead people. But not just dead people. It says for the next three days, they, they just picked up plunder from these armies. So what happened? They walked away with armfuls of riches. This is a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in our life. If we put our praise in front of our problems, we will walk into, into, into victories that we didn't even have to fight. You'll walk into blessings. There are armfuls of blessings that God wants to reward you with if you'll put your praise in front of your problems. It takes faith, but, but that faith is what empowers God to move in your life. You honor God. You put Him first. And when you do that, it empowers God to blow away your problems with your praise. Here's the second area we've got to put God first in. God must be first in our passions. God must be first in our passions. Our passions. We're all passionate people. People are passionate. I don't know about you. I'm passionate. And everybody's passionate. You, you talk to people, even the most introverted people, you, you get them talking about the right thing and they start getting kind of passionate. We're passionate people. God made us that way. We're passionate about fishing. We're passionate about coffee. I don't get it, but oh, Whatever. We're passionate about working out, CrossFit. You ever met a CrossFit guy? They're passionate about it. They don't understand why not everybody does CrossFit. Dude, back it on off with the CrossFit, man. We're passionate. Some of you are passionate about losing. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. You're passionate about OSU football. We're pa- passionate. We're passionate. We're passionate about raising our kids. We're passionate about eating organic. We're, pa- we're passionate people. And, and that's fine. God made us that way. But here's the problem. Sometimes we take these passions and we direct them towards the wrong stuff. So God wants us to direct our passion towards Him. He wants you to direct your passion, men, towards building His kingdom. He wants you to direct your passion towards your family, towards raising godly kids, towards having a strong marriage that looks different than the world around you. He wants you to to have passion about those things, but the enemy will come and he'll steer your passion towards the wrong kind of stuff. He'll get you caught up in the things of this world. He'll get you caught up in hobbies and different things. And you begin to allow those things to steal God's place in your life. Here's a question I have for you. God kind of laid this on my heart this week. Maybe you're thinking about that thing that you're passionate about, that thing that you love. And and I felt like God told me to to ask this question, and I'm not trying to be, you know, here's the question, okay? If God was to come to you and say, lay that down, would you have a hard time with that? And, And if so, maybe, maybe, because God's asking you to do it and you're having a hard time with it, maybe it it kind of shows that it's, become something that you've elevate, elevated above God in your life. Now listen, I'm not saying you have to lay it down. I'm not saying that. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> as long as it's not sinful, as long as it's not hurting anyone else, I'm not saying you have to lay it down. My question is, are we allowing the blessings of God to take the place of God? I, I think that's one of the saddest things that can take place in the life of a Christian, is that God blesses us with things. He provides things for us. And we take those blessings and we use them as excuses to cut him out of our life. 
Imagine this in a relationship that you care about. Imagine there's someone that you love dearly and you gave them a gift. And the very gift that you gave them, imagine if that gift became something that drove them away from you. Like imagine this. Okay, I've got a, a daughter, Sunny. She's four. Imagine that I decide to give her a little, a little bear, like a, like a Teddy Ruxpin bear, like a really nice kind of, you know, the kind of, those kind of bears that'll like, you know, carry on a conversation with you and help you, you know, teach you yoga and whatever, whatever else they do. These bears. And so I give her this bear, and she, when I give it to her, she's so grateful, so thankful, so happy with it. But then over time, I, I, I notice that all of a sudden now I'll walk in the room, and, and she's so focused on the bear, she doesn't even notice me anymore. She doesn't acknowledge me. She doesn't talk to me. And, and now the, the gift, the gift that I gave her to bless her is now becoming something that's replacing me in her life. I, I heard somebody say this once. I don't remember who it was, but they said, who can God bless that they will not use it against him? That's a good statement, worth writing down this morning. Can God bless you and you not replace him with the blessing? There's a story in Exodus chapter, chapter 20 where Moses and the children of Israel are walking towards the promised land. Now let me set this up for you. They have been just walking out of, of Egyptian slavery that they were in for 400 years. Generations of people have, have lived and died under this slavery regime. There are these people that are walking out in freedom have never experienced this before. And so they're, they're walking towards this promised land that God has promised them. And you, you know the story, like there's the ten plagues and Moses and let my people go. And you, you've seen the movie, it's on at Easter. And, and they're walking towards this promised land. And as they get there, there's this, there's this mountain called Mount Sinai that they stop at. And Moses goes up the mountain, and, and he's on the mountain, and this is where God gives him the Ten Commandments, and God gives him instruction, and does some, and he's up there for a long time. Days go by, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days he's up on this mountain. And the children of Israel start thinking, man, maybe something has gone wrong. Maybe, maybe he's dead. Maybe he's passed away. And, and so they go to Aaron, and they go to Aaron, and they say, Aaron, would you... Build us a God. Okay, so, so we'll pick up in verse 2. And Aaron said to them, Exodus 32, verse 2. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings. Now remember that. Which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Now these golden earrings, understand these golden earrings were a gift from God. God gave them these golden earrings. See, 20 chapters earlier in Exodus chapter 12, as they are leaving Egypt, remember, they've been nothing but slaves their whole life. As they're leaving Egypt, God puts it on the heart of the Egyptians to bless them as they leave. It says this in verse 36 of Exodus chapter 12. God caused, everybody say God caused. God caused. Who caused it? God. God caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites. And look at this. And they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So like a victorious army, they plundered the Egyptians. So when, when the, the Israelites left Egypt, they didn't leave with just the, the clothes on their back. They left blessed. They left with, with herds of cattle and herds of livestock. They left with gold and silver. And they plundered the Egypt. God put it on their heart to the point that they were able to plunder the Egyptians. They've had nothing, not a zilch, zero their entire life. And now they're leaving and God puts it on the heart of these people to totally bless them as they go. And what do they do? They take this blessing from God. And look at what it says in verse 4. And he, talking about Aaron, received the gold. This is the gold that God put it on the heart of the Egyptians to give to the Israelites. He received the gold 
from their hand. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Did you guys just follow that right there? They just gave credit to the freedom they're walking in. To the golden calf they just made. This is crazy. These people literally took a gift from God, a bl- literally a blessing from God, and they crafted it and formed it into a God that they're now worshiping in God's place and giving credit for what God's done. Now before you, you go, man, those stupid ancient Israelites, we do the same thing all the time. We take gifts from God, we take blessings from God, and we craft them and we mold them into these little gods that then we begin to worship in God's place and even begin to start giving credit for where our life is to these little things of our life. And so, so what, what's the solution? How do we keep from allowing these passions, these hobbies, these things in our life from being elevated to that place where they become things that we worship in God's place? Well, here's what I believe the solution is. If, you're, if you find yourself today where your passions, the things of this life, tend to get in the way, whatever they may be, good or bad, they get in the way, and you find yourself at the end of the day going, man, I did, that day, I did not win that day for the Lord. Here's what you do. Quiet time first. Quiet time first. Notice I didn't just say quiet time. I said quiet time first. See, there's a principle in Scripture that talks about consecrating the first to redeem the rest. Consecrating means that we set it apart. We set it apart for holy purposes is what it really means. And and what happens is we set something apart, the first part, apart for holy purposes, and then God redeems the rest. This is all through Scripture. And so here's what happens when we put quiet time first. We set apart the first part of our day for holy purposes, and it allows God to redeem the rest. It empowers God to be able to come in and move. See, when you start your day, and listen, it's going to take you maybe being a little more intentional with this. Maybe it means you've got to set your alarm a little bit earlier. But you're going to get up, and you're going to spend some time in worship. You're going to spend some time in the Word of God. You're going to spend some time in prayer. And in doing so, you're going to say, God, I need you in my life. I can't do this on my own. I don't have it in me. I, I, I get, I, my days get away from me, God, and I, I can't do that. I, I, I know I need your help, and so I'm inviting you in. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, direct me. Here's what happens. God comes in. When you, when you spend this time, you invite God. He comes. He'll always show up. And then here's what he does. He stays. And he stays with you throughout the day, and he walks hand in hand with you. And in those moments where maybe the things that sometimes will get away from you and your passions get to controlling you and, and then the Holy Spirit will whisper to you and say, hey, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Put, put your family first. Don't, don't do that. Put, put me first. Don't, don't, don't think that way. Don't. God speaks to you. God redeems the rest when you invite him in. See, some of you, here's what happens. When you seek God first, God empowers you to keep God first. And that's what we're going after, right? We want to keep God first. So seek him first. He'll redeem the rest and you'll be empowered to keep him first. You guys get anything out of this? There's a battle going on for your passions. The enemy wants to direct your passions towards the wrong things. And so we've got to be intentional. We've got to choose to steer our passions in the right way. And if you'll start by surrendering your life to God, he'll help you keep first things first. Here's the third area. God must be first in our possessions. God must be first in our 
possessions or our stuff or our money. I want you to know something this morning. God's after your money. And here's why. Because God's after your heart. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 24. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's what Jesus said. Our heart follows what we treasure. We we talked about this last week. Your heart determines the course of your life. So if if our heart determines the course of our life and our heart follows our treasure, then if we allow the treasures of this world to become our treasure then the course of our life is going to be focused on things of this world. Possessions, stuff, money, greed, rebellion. That's what what we're going to slip. And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you greedy. He wants to get you focused. He wants to, he, and, and, he'll, and this is a major area of your life he'll do this in. Probably one of the biggest areas of your life that's the most, that competes the most for God being first in your life is this area right here. This is the area when I start to preach about it, it gets a lot quieter in the room. <laughs> because, because our stuff is a big deal to us. And our money is a big deal to us. But, but when we do things God's way, it empowers God. Matthew 6.24 says this. It says, no one. Everybody say no one. No one. Does that include you? Yeah. It does. It includes me too. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And look how he finishes the same verse. You cannot serve both God and money. Money has a way of you becoming a servant to it. It becomes a master in your life if you don't surrender it to God. It will get in the place of God. It will elevate itself above God. And it becomes a God that we worship. And we'll say, God, I'll give you all the areas of my life. But this is an area, I don't, I don't know if I can trust you with this part. Do you know how to balance a budget, Lord? I don't know that you do. Have you seen my checking account? I can't. I don't think I could. And we, leave, we believe the lies of the enemy. And he steals from us. He robs us. He keeps us from the blessings of God. He keeps us living by fear instead of faith. So God created, once again, a way whereby which we can honor God, we can walk by faith, and we can position ourselves for the blessing of God. And that is the tithe. The tithe. Now, if you're new to church, tithe means tenth. And the tithe is when we, we do this, we bring 10% of what we have to the church and we give it to the church. Now, I say bring because, because you, and not give because you can't give something that doesn't belong to you. We bring it to the Lord because it doesn't belong to us. See, everything belongs to God. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. You say, well, yeah, you don't know how hard I worked. I went to school for years, and I, try, I learned, and I developed, and I built this career for myself. Yes, you did. And God gave you the brain that enabled you to do all those things. God gave you the physical tool. Every blessing that you have, you have to recognize it is from God. you got to start there. And so then when you start there, then it makes it easier because you're not giving to God. You're bringing to God. You're just bringing back. You want to give to God. That's above and beyond. And that's good to do. But... The tithe is bringing back to God what's his. It's the first 10%. And here's the thing. When you do it, you honor God, and it's a step of faith, but it opens you up for blessing. God says that he wants to pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain. He wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. He says he wants to rebuke the devourer. The devourer is talking about the devil. He wants to stop. How many of you like the, the, the God to stop the devil from destroying you and your finances? Okay. 
How many of you like God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain? That sounds good, right? The Bible also says if we don't do it, that we're robbing God and that we fall under a curse. And there's some of you in here today and, and you're asking God to bless you. You're saying, God, I, I need your help in my finances. But the problem is you just stuck God up. <laughs> you, you, it's hard to go to the guy you just robbed and say, hey, man, can, can you give me something else now? He's going to be like, no, bro. Why don't you give me back what you stole? You guys following me this morning? I'm trying to simplify this for you. But, but here's what happens. When we do it, God blesses us. If you don't do it, you're robbing us. So, here, so here's the equation. We can either live with 90% of what we have blessed by God, or we can live with 100% of what we have under a curse. And my friends, God can do way more with 90% than you can do with 100%. So, but, but here's the thing I want you to see today. It's, it's not just a tithe that God wants from you. He actually wants the tithe. The tithe. This is something I just learned in the last... The last 10 years of my life, I, I grew up tithing, but I didn't understand the concept of the tithe. And when I talk about the tithe, I'm talking about the first, the first. Now, turn me to Genesis chapter 4. I want to show you this. Genesis chapter 4, we have in Scripture the first recording of, of someone giving an offering. And in, in, in Bible terms, uh, theologians would tell you that there is a, there's a thing in Scripture called the law of first mention, where when you see something in Scripture for the first time, it sets a tone for some truth that God wants us to see that, that continue on for, forever, pretty much. And so we see in these verses some principles about giving that are important for us to understand today. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In other words, Cain was a uh, rancher and Abel was a farmer. It says, now notice the words here. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought, look at this, an offering of fruit from the ground to the Lord. So in the process of time... He brought an offering. Now notice how different it is when it talks about Abel. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. Now fat in scripture is not a bad thing like it is in our culture today. <laughs> fat means the best. So he brought his first. He brought his best. Versus Cain who brought in the process of time a, a offering. In, in fact in the process of time means he brought it at the last minute actually in Hebrew. He brought it just kind of under the, under the radar. And so it says that, that, look at this, it says, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So they, broke, they both brought an offering. One brought it, Abel brought the first and the best. Cain just brought some, and he brought in his time. And God received one and not the other. God received the first and not just the other. So, so here's my question. Why is it that Cain didn't bring his first and his best? Like, what was going on? Well, the problem was with his heart. And I know this because there's, there's verses in the, in the New Testament that speak to what was going on in the heart and mind of Cain and Abel. This is Jude 11. And Jude is just one book, so this is just verse 11. It says, Woe to them. So it's talking to a group of people here that are not doing things the right way. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. So this is talking about Cain here. Now what is the way of Cain? It tells us, They have run greedily in error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Notice it talks about the way of Cain and then it speaks to rebellion and greed. So what was the way of Cain? The way of Cain was greed and rebellion. And, and so listen, now this is kind of tough language here, but I want you to hear me. 
If your approach to giving to the Lord is I'll do it when I want to, I'll do it where I want to, I'll do it how I want to, then according to scripture, you have a heart that's rebellious towards God and that's greedy. I know, it's, I know that's hard to hear maybe for some of you because you, you didn't understand this. I'm not, and I'm not trying to beat you up this morning. I want you to see the truth because the truth will set you free. God wants to bless you in this area of your life. And I didn't understand this for years. I just learned this in the last 10 years of my life. That God, a tithe is not just a leftover. It's the first. God wants the first. And, and so Cain, he just brought leftovers. And God didn't receive that. And, and God tried to deal with him on it. It says this in verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? He's, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, well actually literally means if you bring the best. If you bring your best, will you not be accepted? And if you... Do not do well. Look at this. Sin lies at the door. We're talking about a battle, right? The enemy is seeking who he can devour. He's looking for people he can steal, kill, and destroy. And when you don't do it God's way, there's an open door. If you're not doing things God's way, there's an open door, an open area where God may be stealing from you and hurting you. And so God warns him here to deal with this, but Cain doesn't listen. He just gets, he just gets more angry, more mad. He's mad at God. He's mad at his brother. And what does he do? He ends up murdering his brother. And this is the first murder in the Bible. And this is not just the Bible, human history. This is the first murder that ever took place. And what did it take place over? Not understanding, giving, greed, rebellion. I'd say this is a big deal, right? This giving stuff is a big deal. Now, real quick, let's contrast the heart of Cain with the heart of Abel. We know the heart of of Abel as well, because in Hebrews chapter 11, again in the New Testament, we see a glimpse into what was going on with him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness. You can highlight that, circle that. He obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. In other words, the, the story of Abel still speaks to us today. We're talking about it right now. He's dead, but his story is still speaking to us. And notice it says he obtained witness. When it says he obtained witness, that means that he bore witness that God was first in his life. You see, his gift was a reflection of his heart. His gift reflected that God was first. Cain's gift was a reflection of his heart. And, and so the, the, the reality for us is this. Your heart's tied to your checkbook, my friends. And if you want to know where God is in your heart, if you're, if you're sitting here, I asked the question at the beginning, is God number one? Where does God want to be? If there's an area of your life where you say, that area I got, I don't need God there. And, and a big one is finances. You look at your finances, it'll tell you where God is in your heart. God wants to be first. And so what does that look like? Here's what that looks like practically. The first check that comes out of your check is a check to the Lord, is the tithe. When I get paid, the first check that I write. Now listen, I, I, the government takes their share, right, before I can do that. But I still tithe. And, and I tithe, listen, I tithe on the gross. Because who's first? God or the government? Who's first? God. So God gets the first check I can get out. It, it goes to the Lord. And I set that apart. And it, it's, for me, it's, this is important because it's, it's a, it keeps my heart in check. It says, God, you're first. I trust you. Listen, it's easy to give after you've taken care of all your bills. It's easy to to pay all your bills and to make sure. And then if there's anything left over, then I'll give to God. That's leftovers. That's what Cain did. 
It takes faith to give before. It takes faith to obey God before. And maybe you're scared. Maybe this terrifies you this morning. I I was talking to a guy here at the church uh, a couple years ago. And he was talking to me about his struggle financially. And, uh, and I, I sat him down and said, well, how's your, how's your tithing? And he said, well, you know, man, I'm just, I'm just afraid. I, I just, I don't know that I'm going to have enough. Like, I'm, it, it's scary. I just, sometimes I don't do it because I'm afraid. And I talked to him. I, listen, I said, man, listen, if you're struggling, you're, you're having financial issues. You, you, God wants to bless you, but he can't bless you if you're robbing from him. And that's what you're doing when you don't do it his way. So just, just try it. I challenge just try it and see what happens. So he did. He, he tried it for a month. <laughs> and, and, and then he, he quit. He got afraid again. He stopped. And a few months down the line, he was looking at his finances, and he had noticed that there was a month that had taken place a few months ago that he had the best month of his year. In fact, he had the best month of any employee in his company that month. And what month was it? It was the month that he tithed. <laughs> And so he, he decided, okay, that seals it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And he started tithing. Within six months, he got a new job that paid him better, had better hours. Everything changed for this guy. Why? Because he put God first. There wasn't an area of his life where he said, God, you can be Lord of my life everywhere, but this area, I don't, I don't know that you, I could trust you with this. Do you know how to balance a checkbook, Lord? You know what my budget looks like? You know, you know the bills that I got coming in? God knows what's going on in your life. I, I was talking to another guy here in the church, and he was telling me he, he works in sales. He was telling me how he works in an industry where, you know, you got to kind of hustle. And, uh, and, and there's some guys in his company that just are just struggling, and, str- and they're just trying and putting so much effort to get sales. And he's like, I have stuff just drop in my lap incredible accounts that just come out of nowhere. I'm not even trying, and they just drop into my lap. And I know it's because I tithe and I give. He wants to help you. He doesn't want there to be an area of your life where you say, God, I, I'm, I want you in all these areas, but here I'm good. God wants to be in every area of your life. God wants you to recognize him first in every area. Listen, whatever you put God first in, you empower God to work in. If you're struggling financially, and you need help there, then put God first there. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say something else. Because I've, I've come across people before, and they're like, well, I lost, you know, I, my, my, my spouse lost their job. And so we're going to stop tithing for a little bit because they lost their job, and our income's down a little bit. And Okay, so what you're telling me, because this is the way I process, what you're telling me is you lost your job, so you don't want God's blessing on your life anymore. How, how do you expect God to give you a new job? It's an act of faith. You guys follow me this morning? God wants to be first in every area of your life. And there's a battle for this. And some of you are battling with it right now. But it's a battle that God wants to be first in. And the enemy's going to lie to you and he's going to try to keep you from this. But listen, if you'll give God your first, he'll redeem the rest. In whatever area of your life it is, be it your problems, be it your passions, your hobbies, things that get away from you, your sin, sin that gets away from you, things like that. If you put God first, you put God first in your fight. Wherever you put God first, the enemy wants to stop you. He wants to keep you from the blessings of God. And listen, he wants to keep you from being fully submitted to God because he understands something. If you're not fully submitted to God, you cannot resist him. So if you're going to resist God, you've got to do things God's way. Is God Lord of your life and is he Lord of all? There's a battle for first.
And it's a battle you can win, but it's going to take you having a heart that says, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to put my faith in you. And by doing so, I'm going to open myself up to be blessed by you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning in this message? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you this morning. We're grateful for who you are, Lord. We're grateful that there's no area of our life that you're not invited into. God, we don't, we don't have sections of our heart that we say, God, you can be everywhere but right here. Lord, help us to be fully submitted to you. We know you want to do things. I know there's people, I know there's people that are wrestling this morning with this. And maybe you feel a little condemnation. Don't listen to condemnation. Here's, here's, the, here's how God works. Condemnation looks backwards. Conviction looks forwards. Condemnation says, you messed up, you idiot. You should have been doing this all along. Why, why haven't you been doing this? Why haven't you been putting God first in that area of your life? What? That's the enemy. Don't listen to that. Conviction says, hey, you, you maybe haven't been doing this right. But if you'll start right now, pick up right here, you can take off. That's what God's saying to you today. Maybe you've messed it up in the past. You don't have to fix all the past. God's not about you fixing your past. God took care of your past. You just move forward from here and you begin to obey God. And he'll begin to bless you and take care of you and provide for you and help you right where you are right now. So that's what you do. You say, God, from here, from this day forward, from this moment, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, no section of my heart is, is going to be kept from you, Lord. And maybe there's some of you this morning and, and you do though. You need to, you, you know, you need to take a moment and you seem to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've let that hobby become an idol in my life. I'm sorry I've let your blessings, the things that you've provided me with, I've, I've, I've turned them into idols and I've placed them above you. God, I'm sorry I've, I've put so much attention on the problem that I've glorified it over you. God, I'm sorry that I've, I've become greedy and I've been rebellious towards you with my finances. God, for, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I repent. If, you, if that's you today, if you're doing that, just know you're in good company. <laughs> I've had to do it, this in every area of my life, sometimes repeatedly. And I promise you the people around you are the same way. But we pick ourselves up because the blood of Jesus is powerful and it's redeeming and it will change you. Maybe you're here today and, and you don't know the Lord like you, you should. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God like you know you should have. You, you feel like you and God are kind of distant. Maybe at one time you were following God, but you've fallen away and you've allowed some things into your life that have stolen him from that place in your life. And you, you just don't know where you stand with the Lord today. Well, I, I want you to know where you stand with God. He loves you. He's for you. He died on the cross for you. And he, and he says today that he welcomes you back in. And if that's you today and you need to, you need to pray a prayer and make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's, it's real simple. I can pray with you. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything weird. I just simply want to pray a prayer and you can repeat after me. So if that's you today, if you'd like to rededicate or commit your life to Jesus Christ today, if that's you, would you just, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, just slip up your hand and put it right back down so I can see it. Just put it up. I see that hand. Awesome. So good. If that's you, just put that hand up. Say, God, I want to put you first. Thank you, Jesus. All right, church, would you stand with me? We're going we're gonna to pray this prayer together. And, and as I pray this, the person who lifted your hand, as you say this, uh, you are confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord. And in doing so, you're becoming born again. 
that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's all you have to do. You, be, you become born again. So would you pray this with me? Say, say, dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I confess that I've sinned. I come to you right now. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you rose from the dead. Right now, I open my heart to you. I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I give you control of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him a hand, church. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.